Good morning. You doing well today? I tell you what, when I see temperatures like this, I'm glad I live in the great state of Texas. How about you? Happy to be here. Those of you who love snow, you can go to Colorado, go somewhere for a few days, but I'm glad to be in this. Uh, last week at this time, we were right in the middle of two nights of performance of the Christmas concert, and a glorious concert it was. Do you agree with that? Thank you, Pastor Brent and the music department again. And I have to say, hearing all those Christmas carols and others that I've heard this week um, stirs up incredible memories in my mind and in, and in my heart. And uh, in all my years of music production, if there is a Christmas carol or Christmas hymn that I did not arrange at some point, I can't imagine what it would be. Um, I even have put my arranging pen to really significant Christmas songs such as Frosty the Snowman, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, Sleigh Bells, Sleigh Ride, Silver Bells, All the Bells, Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer, I Want a Hippopotamus for Christmas, All I Want for Christmas is my right, and I saw Mama kissing Santa Claus. I was just trying to be a blessing to the church, folks. That's all I was trying to do. Um, one thing, though, that is true, when it comes to the lyrics of the song, you got to get it right. Now, if you grew up in the church like I did, there were probably many hymns that you heard and you probably misheard some of the lyrics. Uh, there's lots of stories about how that happened. Um, but I just, I got to tell you, as a musician and as both as a pastor, when it comes to the lyrics of the song, you, you just got to get it right. It reminds me of how, uh, what happens when things don't go well. There was a, a family who who's uh, the matriarch, their mom had passed away and the, the mom had been a faithful um, member of the church for years. She was a godly woman, um, never missed a Sunday. Well, the, the same thing was not true of her adult children. They had not been as faithful to church and didn't remember all the hymns quite as well. So when it came time to plan mom's funeral service, um, they came to the senior pastor and to the, the worship pastor and said, now we want you to know mom had a favorite song that she just loved. And she always told us, and the siblings were all looking at each other and nodding, she always told us she wanted to have this song at her funeral. And the music pastor said, okay, great, what is that? And they said, well, it's a bit of an unusual request, but mom really loved Jingle bells. So, you know, the, the music pastor said, "Well, I, it's a bit of a surprise, and that's that's not the traditional thing and what we typically do. But if that's what your mom wanted, that's what we'll do." And so, this funeral service comes, and with all the passion he could muster up, the music pastor gets up and sings, "Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh." And he's passionately singing, and when he gets to the chorus of jingle bells, jingle bells, he looks out at the kids who were sitting there. They, had, they looked rather aghast and shocked and horrified, and he thought something's not quite right here. And so finally, when the service was over, they, said, they came to them and said, you know, uh, the song that mom really wanted was when they ring those golden bells. Folks, you got to get the lyrics right. You got to get them right. Yeah. 
There were two children uh, riding with their parents to the Christmas Eve service, and by the way, I want to put a plug in for our Christmas Eve service, which is a week from Tuesday night. I've, it, Christmas is on Wednesday, right? Christmas Eve would be on Tuesday, and so we have a delightful service here at 5.30 on uh, a week from Tuesday night. Boy, if you've not been a part of it, if it's not been a part of your family tradition, you need to come and, and be a part of it. It's, it is a great service. There's some wonderful things planned for that service. So two kids were riding with their parents to their Christmas Eve service, and, and in this family was a four-year-old who was just learning Christmas carols and trying to get all the words right and with all of his heart, he was singing that most beloved Christmas carol, Silent Night. And he came to the end, and with great passion, he sang, Sleep in Heavenly Beans. And of course, there's always an older sister around. I, I had an older sister, so I understand that. There was an older sister around who said, Those aren't the right words. It's supposed to be Sleep in Heavenly Peas. So what you have is two people who are both wrong trying to correct each other. Have you ever seen a situation like that? And it isn't that often the way it is. Two people, neither, neither of whom have it right, trying to be the voice of authority on some subject. Well, let's just be reminded, there's only one who gets it right in this life, and that's the Lord Jesus. Amen? And there's only one book that gets it right, and that's the Holy Word of God. Is there another amen in the house today? Well, I was sitting here last Saturday and Sunday evening here in the choir singing the song they just sang a few minutes ago, Do You Hear What I Hear? And uh, talked with some folks afterwards and uh, know how significant the concert was for them. But that song kind of resonated in my mind. And it caused me, here's why it did, it caused me to be uh, reminded of a phrase which we see repeated in the book of Revelation and for those of you who've been around here a while, it's a phrase which we often heard Pastor Des employ as he faithfully delivered the word of the Lord to us. Because when it comes to our understanding of what the word of the Lord is saying to us, we can't assume we've heard it right. We have to be sure that we get it right and listen carefully. For as Christ was communicating to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3, he punctuated his comments with this phrase, with every one of the seven churches. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, this is, this is not a traditional Christmas message from Matthew or Luke. But in the spirit of the Christmas carol, do you hear what I hear? I feel it's important that we consider this idea this morning that I want to present to you. To make sure, even at this Christmas season, and as we go into the new year, that we are hearing what the word of the Lord is saying to the church. You know the setting. John the Beloved was on the Isle of Patmos undergoing a time of persecution under uh, Roman rule. He was there, as he says in the beginning of the book of Revelation, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. He says at the beginning of the book of Revelation that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and in the Spirit, God began to speak to him. And even though there had been arguably some 50, 60 years since the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, John's ears were still open to hear the voice of God. To the seasoned believers here this morning, like myself, there's a problem in the church of Jesus Christ to which we can be very susceptible. 
you and I are very capable of becoming entrenched. Let me use another word, stuck. In a scriptural view or a self view or a worldview. And so often, God is trying to speak to us, to move us and pull us from that place that we are entrenched or, or stuck to where he wants to take us. It's a natural proclivity, a, a natural tendency that we have to get in a place and find comfort in that place and find safety and security in that place and just want to stay there and not not always even realizing God is trying to move us from that place to a place where he wants us to be. But the peril, if I may, with religion is that we become so comfortable with the system that we've created around us that we lose our ability to hear the distinctive of God's voice. So now through the Apostle John, Christ Jesus speaks directly to the seven churches of that time. The churches that were founded in Asia Minor by the Apostle Paul on his missionary journeys. Put the map up for us, please, and I have my trusty little, oh, look, it works. All right, here's the isle where, where John was, the Isle of Patmos. So often we read these, about these places in Scripture, we don't have any sort of relationship or even a geographic understanding. What we see as Asia Minor here is really what is present-day Turkey. Becky and I have actually been to Ephesus, and here are the seven churches established by the Apostle Paul all together, and I want to quickly run through and see what the Lord has to say to us, to that which was said to the churches when he said, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches, because every one of these these churches received this statement. Now, the inference of the statement is clear. There are people in every situation, and in every church who can no longer hear the voice of God. With these letters to the seven churches, in some cases, he is approving the direction of something he's about to do if people can still hear it. In other cases, he's trying to correct behaviors that have made their way into the hearts of the people, behaviors which are bringing them into a place of weakness, where the testimony of God that he wants to establish through them is starting to be diminished. Their their testimony is, is dying out. And the word in the book of Revelation makes it very clear that 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 testimony is represented by the lampstand, seven of which John saw in his revelation. And their behavior could potentially, the behavior of the people in the churches could potentially cause them to lose their lampstand from among the churches. Losing their lampstand is the same as losing their testimony. For example, let me take the first one. The church of Ephesus, Revelation chapter 2. If you have your Bible and want to turn there, we'll be putting some of the scriptures up. Revelation chapter 2. You might also find reference to some things we're saying that we will not be projecting if you want to open your Bible to there. Ephesus, they're doing a lot of good things. They're laboring. They, they have patient endurance, the word says. They can't, can't bear those who are evil. They are testing or proving those who claim to be speaking for God or, or, 
or are prominence in the church, but in fact are not speaking for God, and the church has found them to be liars. Ephesus has been good at confronting these things. They have persevered. They have patiently suffered for Christ, and for the namesake of Christ, they have not become weary. All of these are good things which they are being credited. But Revelation 2 verse 4 says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. This references, when he says first love, this references their love for Christ and their love for each other, for God's people. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Look how far you have fallen, he says. You've done all these good things, but you've left your first love, and look how far you've fallen. So he says, repent, turn back, and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from his place unless you repent. In other words, your testimony will be lost unless you repent. Bethesda, let me ask you something. I've had to ask myself the same thing this week. Do you remember when you first came to Christ? Do you remember? Raise your hand if you remember. First coming to the Lord Jesus. Remember how you loved him? I was a small child. When I surrendered my life to Jesus, I could take you to the exact spot. I could take you to the room. I could almost take you to, if the chair was there, I could take you to the chair where I literally surrendered my life to Christ. You know, I, if you're like me, when you first met the Lord, you probably didn't even know there was such a thing as the book of Ezekiel, did you? Didn't know that. But here's what I did know. I did know that Jesus had died for me. I did know that he had forgiven me. And, and he had, I had the promise of forgiveness of sins. I certainly knew that his Holy Spirit had come and touched me in a way that was nothing I had experienced before. I sensed, even as a small child, his presence and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And I know this, you couldn't stop me from talking about him because I loved him. I was grateful for what God had done in my life, forgiven me of my sin. It wasn't a, it wasn't a program, I just loved him. I wasn't under compulsion, I, I just loved him. It wasn't because my parents told me what I was supposed to do, I just loved the Lord. There was a, an overwhelming uh, uh, compulsion within me to love the Lord Jesus. No one was telling me that I should talk to my friends about my faith. I just loved him. Most people would tell me that I should be quiet, but I couldn't because I just loved Jesus. How many of you remember when you first found him and you just loved Jesus? Say amen to that this morning. But you know what, church? It is so easy over the years to allow that love for Christ to be substituted by things that aren't necessarily bad, but they substitute that first love. Doctrinal purity, perseverance, works, even works in the church can be substituted for our first love for Christ, testings and such. And let's clearly understand that the Lord is not asking, speaking through John the Revelator, <coughs> excuse me, he's not asking the church of Ephesus to, to give these good things up, these things that they're doing. Those are wonderful. He's not saying these are bad things that they're doing. But Bethesda, if our love for Christ is not at the foundation stone of who we are and what we do, then we might as well become a tape recorder with Scripture on it. Because there is no love of God in a tape recorder. And you know what? People who encounter us can see that and immediately know it. 
This is why it says, if you lose your love for me, which is to be above all else, then your testimony will be taken away. It is your lampstand will be gone. It will be removed. Because no one will be drawn to Christ through you if you have lost your love for him, that first love, whatever it is that has replaced that, whatever it is that is, you have substituted it for, if you've lost the simplicity of that first love, no one is drawn to someone who just can rattle off Scripture. In fact, if you're like me, I find it rather annoying when I hear a, a preacher on the street. I'm glad they're doing something, but when they're just rattling off Scriptures, and yet there's not an ounce of love in their heart for the Lord and not an ounce of love for His people. And though they think they're doing something quite profound, the Lord has long ago removed their lampstand. Jesus is saying loudly to the people of Ephesus, don't substitute a love for me with a love for works. Don't substitute a love for me with doctrine, which is a great thing. Clearly, doctrinal purity should be aspired to. But none of it can replace our love for Christ and his people. Bethesda, do you hear what I hear? Then he who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Let the church say amen. The second, to Smyrna. He tries to tell the people of that particular church, okay, folks, you're going to be going into a trial. Society is going to turn against you. You can read it there in the second chapter of Revelation. Some of you are going to be thrown into prison. You're going to be tested. In fact, he says, you're going to have trouble for several days, 10 days to be exact. But be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. In other words, to the church at Smyrna, he promises trouble and difficulty. You know what, Bethesda, sometimes the voice of God will come to you. And it may not necessarily be, here's the way out. It may not necessarily be, this is the way to safety. It may not necessarily be the word that says, you're not going to go through the storm. Because sometimes you do have to go through a storm. If you've been in the church very long, if you've been a believer very long at all, then you understand that's the truth. That's our reality. And we can get so entrenched in the view that Christianity is only about getting out of trouble. That the only reason we should serve the Lord is because he will get us out of trouble. If that, if that becomes what we're entrenched in, that idea, that we can no, then we can no longer hear the voice of God. Yet trouble is going to be part of our journey. I sense the excitement in the room as I say that. To the church at Pergamos, some versions call it Pergamum. Here's what he says. You've done well. But what you've done is this. You've allowed a teaching to come into your heart, a teaching to get a hold of your spirit, that living for God and sexual immorality are somehow compatible. That's what's crept into the church at Pergamos. And isn't it amazing how many people in present-day church are caught up in this same idea of thinking that somehow... You can gain heaven for your eternal soul and have all kinds of sexual immorality on this side of eternity and still call yourself a child of God. Well, here's what the Lord said to Pergamos through John. 
He said, repent, repent, turn away from that or else I'll come to you quickly and I will fight against those of this false thinking with the sword of my mouth. Bethesda, do you hear what I hear? Then he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To Pergamos, he said, to him who overcomes and is victorious, I will give you, I love this phrase, the hidden manna to eat. What is hidden manna? What is that that God wants to give those who are victorious and overcome? He says, I will give you strength that those who live among you do not have. In fact, they don't even know anything about the strength that I'm going to give to you. It's hidden manna that God is wanting to give to those who overcome and live victorious. Another part of hidden manna is I will give you vision and I will give you wisdom. I will change you and you'll find yourself in a position of strength that can only come from God. It's hidden manna. He said, I will give you a new name which no one knows except he who receives it. In other words, I'm going to start speaking things over your life that only I, the Lord, can speak. I'm going to start calling you by names that only I, the Lord, have the right to call you. And I'm going to start declaring, yes, you may be this, but this is now what you're going to be. This is now what you're going to do. You cannot be entrenched in what you've always been and where you've always and where you've always been and what you've where you've always gone. The Lord is saying, This is now what your life is going to look like, and no one will know it but you. Bethesda, do you hear what I hear? Are you listening this morning? Then he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. The church in Thyatira was allowing a prophetic word to rise up in its midst. And this word was also teaching people that it was okay to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. It was teaching the people that they can be completely intermixed with this world the systems of this world and the spirit of the age and that which the world would want to put upon us and its ways, that it was perfectly fine to be intermixed with this world and still somehow be partakers in the kingdom of God. And Christ said, you've allowed the voice of this so-called prophetess to rise up in your midst and teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time, says the Lord, to repent of her immorality, and she did not repent. Revelation 2.22, Therefore, I will throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person, and I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. He who has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To Sardis, Christ says, I know your works. He says, I... I know that you have a name and a reputation of being alive, but the Lord said, but you are dead. In other words, here's what I hear him saying. You have learned how to do church. Learned how to do, you have learned when to clap your hands. You've learned when to shout. You've learned what kind of songs to sing. 
You've learned how to create the mood and the atmosphere and respond to that. And even in the church, it so easily can become one grand show. And people might come in and say, wow, what incredible light there is. You know, if you've ever gone to a Broadway uh, musical, Broadway show, or the Dallas Summer Musicals, they always finish that show by trying to pretend how happy everyone is. And they come out and they bow while the crowd cheers and they bow again as long as the crowd keeps cheering and they bow again and try to present how, how happy we all are and yet they go home and, 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 and the misery of their life is compounded day after day. It's because it's only a show. But ladies and gentlemen, the church is called to be more than a show. Much more. In fact, it's not a show at all because what we have is real. And if you want to find the real, just put, it, put counterfeit up next to it and you'll discover what the real is. Are you all enjoying this this morning? Getting a lot of warm love coming from the congregation. But you know my commitment is to speak the truth to you. I don't get to cherry pick the verses that only are the encouragement. I have to tell you the truth. It is my commitment to you. It is my commitment before the Lord. The church has to have a mark of distinction. The church has to have something different because it's what is real. We have a joy deep within our soul that the world didn't give it to us and the world can't take it away. Revelation 3.2 says, wake up, strengthen what little remains for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. By God's grace, may we never reach the point that that which we do when we come together in this house is not simply that which we have learned how to do. By God's grace, we never come to the point that we don't need the Holy Spirit to do it anymore. Pastor Des, I can't preach a sermon without referencing the man who had so much impact on my life, poured so much into me. He had a phrase that he would talk about. And at times it was difficult to understand. It was hard to quantify, hard to give shape to, but he would talk about those who are alive in Jesus, truly alive. And Sometimes I would look at someone and I think, well, they're exuberant, but there's a difference in being exuberant. There's a difference in just knowing how to clap and shout at the same time and truly being alive, that it comes from a place deep within where God has touched you at the core of your being. He has changed you. He has given you new life. He's the one who's placed it inside of you. Let him who has ears hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To Philadelphia, Revelation 3, verse 8. I know all the things that you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me, Philadelphia. So look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you, Philadelphia, are the ones that I love. And then he finishes with them by saying, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Can I just say as I revisit this idea of being stuck or entrenched, 
we can sometimes become stuck or entrenched in our smallness, our lack of strength, just believing that we are a person who's weak and we get entrenched in that. We can become so entrenched in our self-view, which can be so short of what God has for us, that we start to believe that the way we are now with all of our weakness, with all of our shortcomings, with all of our failures, with all of our inability, inadequacy, that's the way we will always be. The limitations that are presently around us are the limitations that will govern our future and the rest of our lives. One who is entrenched will believe that if they are entrenched in a self-view. But God comes along to us and says, no, you only have a little strength but you have wanted to live for me. So I'm setting before you an open door and it is a door that no one can close. And it's right here before you. As I read this and poured over this part of Revelation this week, I began to say, in fact, I stopped what I was doing. I said, Lord, how many people will be in Bethesda Sunday morning for whom you have opened a door and they don't even see it? They're not even aware of it. There's a door you have opened for them. I pray that you will give them ears to hear and eyes to see whatever is necessary for you to remove all of us, starting with me, from being entrenched in our past, entrenched in those things that would hold us down, entrenched in what has seemed like failure and smallness in my life, thinking I have to stay there and not even see that you have opened a door for my future. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to do something so profound in you, he says to Philadelphia, that people who have a false worship will fall at your feet. And they're going to ask you for a reason for the hope that lieth within you. God says, I'm the one who's going to do this, and I'm going to do it in you. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Church, we must be careful that we never, never, never embrace or get stuck in a self-view that is short of what God truly has for our lives. My prayer, our prayer must be, God, keep my ears open to your promises. I know I've failed a thousand times. I know I've done everything possible to mess things up. But, oh, God, you say that you delight in taking the weak things of this world and the foolish things that are nothing and the nobodies of society and raising us up in such a manner that the whole world has to acknowledge that surely you are with us. So, God, give me, give us the grace to walk through the open door that you have placed before us and do it in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. The last church mentioned in the Revelation is Laodicea. And you know what he says. He stands at the door and knocks. And here's what's interesting about this. At the first visible appearance of Christ on the earth to his people at that time, he was knocking on the door. He was, of course, in the womb of Mary. He was knocking on the door of a religious system that had shut him out. It had shut out the compassion of God. It had shut out the heart of God. And the movers and shakers of that time had all used their best influence to get the best rooms, the best meals. There was no place for Jesus. They were thinking, as long as I have food, a warm fire, a warm bed, and a place at the table, then everything, it seems, was as good for me as I could possibly hope it would be. 
And yet the Son of God was standing on the outside, knocking, as it were, on the door, trying to get in the midst of this world. But there's no room. So at the last church of Revelation, you still find him knocking at the door again. And not that many years later, here he is again knocking at the door of the New Testament church who have done the very same thing that the people of God did when he first came into, uh, into the world as a child. Revelation 3.17, here's what they said in the New Testament. I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. But they didn't realize really that they are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. In other words, what they were saying is, I have found in my religion, I have found security. I have been given of God enough wealth to get me through the days ahead. I've been given clothing, and I'm completely satisfied. So I don't really want anything to shake the religious place that I've crafted around myself. I don't want to be disturbed by it. I don't want human need to interfere with it. I don't want to give up my place at the table. I don't want to give up my warm bed. I, I, I don't want to give up my nice place at the fire, all for the sake of someone else. And then he closes out with Laodicea and says, he who has ears, let him hear. And here's what's interesting. He's no longer speaking to the church. You understand, in all the other churches, he appears to be in the midst of them speaking to them. Some could hear him, some could not. But in Laodicea, nobody can hear him because he's outside, knocking on the door. And sad to say, Bethesda, I don't think they can even hear the knock any more than they wanted to hear it in Bethlehem. You see, when churches use God for their own benefit, that's exactly what happens. They close them out completely. When they don't live for the sake of others, when all love is gone, we've lost our first love. When we don't live for the cause of Christ, we end up crafting walls and comforts and a scriptural view that is short-sighted. In fact, it completely misses the mark of the glory of God. Let me tell you, my prayer for Bethesda Community Church, my prayer for you, as well as my prayer for me, is simply this. Oh, God, give us ears to hear what you are saying to the churches. Would you say that with me? Oh God, give us ears to hear what you are saying to the church. Which means we're also saying this. God, if you want to correct us, then correct us and we will listen and we will obey. God, if you want to speak to us, then speak to us and we will listen. If you want to take us to places of promise, then please take us there. If we need correction, obviously correct us. But oh God, don't ever... Let us become so routine in our Christianity and becoming cultural Christians that we become so dull of hearing that you're knocking at the door. You're saying something distinctive. You're saying something new. You're saying something fresh. You're trying to get us out of our, where we become stuck and entrenched and you're saying something, you've opened the door and we don't even hear you knocking. God, don't ever let it be that you're outside and we've crafted something inside that we like better inside the walls that no longer has your heart, no longer has a love for you at its core, no longer has the benevolence of God to human need as its outreach, where we no longer have a love for truth, even when it's hard to hear, like this morning. 
which takes us out of our own weakness and into, truth takes us out of our own weakness and into the strength of God. If we reduce ourselves to that point, dear ones, it is a fraudulent testimony and we run the risk of losing our lampstand. Even though God has given to the church a window into the world, and given the world a window to the church, here's what is still true today. This has not changed in 2019. People are hungry and looking for the truth. You know I'm telling you the truth, right? People around you are hungry and looking for the truth. People sitting in this room this morning are hungry and looking for the truth. But the question that I have for us this morning is this. Brent and Gerard, would you come and help me? What will they find when they come in? What's going to be here for them? Is it going to be real? Is it going to be true? Are we able to be confronted in our fellowship by a holy God? Are we able truly to allow God to speak to us uniquely, distinctively to us? with what he needs to say to us. Can the Holy Spirit speak here? Can we be brought out of our immorality into a love of truth, into a love of purity, into a love and a life of holiness? Bethesda, the hour is late, the time is short, and the need is great. And the reality is this, and I'm astonished by it every day. People are now coming into this house from many nations. People are coming looking for truth, and they're looking for a word from God. Just the people who attended the concerts last weekend, the ones I was able to pray with, many are for the first time coming to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's what they're looking to see out of us. Are these just Christians who have become stuck in their Christian culturalism? Are these people who are just stuck in doing the church thing and doing the religious thing? Or is there really a people who truly love each other? People who really get along, and truly people who really love God is their Christianity real? Is their love for God real? Is it made manifest? Can it be seen? Is this really in Bethesda a taste of heaven? Do you realize, Bethesda, God has brought multiple nations into one house here? One house? Now, let me, let me, let me broaden this for you. I texted Pastor Will last night. In one Spanish service, there are at least 13 nations just represented in the Spanish congregation. So I got to counting last night. There are at least 22 nations that I know are represented here this morning. Let me tell you, Mexico, El Salvador, Honduras, Panama, Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Brazil, Argentina, Dominican Republic, Puerto Rico, Nicaragua, Venezuela, the Republic of Congo, Rwanda, Burundi, Kenya, Tanzania, Cameroon, Korea, Burma, known as Myanmar, and the United States of America worshiping together in this house today. Come on, put your hands together and bless the Lord. And should we not ask ourselves the question, is there not a divine reason for it? Is it possible the Lord has done this? Certainly wasn't my idea. I just responded to what the Lord began to do. You know that's the story. When I see that, and I had not really seen the magnitude of at least 22 nations worshiping in this house on Sunday, I had to go, whoa. It took me off guard. And I began to sense, 
Lord, you are doing something unique. You are doing something special. Let us be faithful to your word, faithful to be able to be challenged. Are you one who's able to be confronted by the Holy Spirit? Who wins when he presents an argument or or a confrontation to you? Who wins? Are you able to be corrected? Are you able to be removed from the entrenchment that you're in? Or have you become so comfortable being stuck in either a religious system or a church system or cultural Christianity? Listen to me. Listen to me. So comfortable in that that when the Holy Spirit comes knocking at your door, you don't even hear the knock, much less his voice. God, help us today. So what will all these nations see when they get here? Well, I'll tell you what they'll see. They'll see all the things that are not desirable if you and I lose the ability to hear the voice of God and to listen to the voice of God. Starting with me. I must be able to hear from God. I have to step, I have to have a word from God every time I step into this pulpit and the courage to speak to you what he has given me distinctively for this fellowship. And you know what? You and I must also have courage, but our courage is to hear it and receive it. It never be said of us that we are so entrenched in what we have been in the past that we can no longer hear the voice of God for our future. I have a simple prayer for Bethesda. God, at Bethesda Community Church in Fort Worth, Texas, give us ears to hear what you are saying to your church. Let the church say amen. Amen. Let the church say amen. amen. Let the church say amen.